0: Let's just start at the beginning. Anybody ever dated anybody before? <laughs> Thank you. I was curious just how this was working. Have you ever stopped dating someone and then you were sitting with your friends and you said, you know, this is not going to work out with this guy. He's got too much baggage. Anybody ever said that before? Do you have? See, here tonight, because we, we work on that. Um, anybody, any... any uh, Guy's ever felt the same way. Uh, you know, she, she seemed nice, and we seemed like we got along, but it turns out she's got way too much baggage. Well, you know, the truth of the matter is we all have a lot of baggage. Okay, we just all get on that same page together tonight. We all have a lot of baggage. In fact, you might add that to your pre-date routine when you're calling up the person that you're going to ask out before you go to pick them up. You might just say, how big a car do I need to bring? Okay, well, maybe you need to get a car. Maybe that's what's not working for you. Maybe step one is it's not how big a car do my mom and I need to bring, but, you know, how big a car do I need to bring? Because I'm rocking the Ford Fiesta right now. Is that going to work? Or maybe it's the other way around, uh, ladies, and he rolls up and you're like, what's up with the U-Haul trailer behind the car? And he's like, yeah, let me show you. This is fantastic. I just want to let you know. I'm bringing a boatload of stuff with me to date number one. But see, of course, that's not the way it works in in dating relationships, because usually at that season of life, we are less aware of the baggage that we have in our world. And if we are aware of it, we're certainly not bringing it to date number one. But the truth of the matter is, and it's going to be interesting tonight for the middle school, high school age folks here, uh, you just absorb tonight. For the sort of dating range, age people, you'll really get this, the married people and the older people in the house tonight, this is going to make complete sense to you. And it might actually land more on you than it will on a 24-year-old wondering if they're going to find someone significant to start a relationship with in their life, because all of us come with baggage. It's part of the equation, and typically we don't know how much baggage we have until we meet that significant person and join our lives to them, and we move our stuff from our house or our apartment or Wherever we are and their stuff from, you remember those days from, some of you not yet, but those married do from their place, and we join our stuff together, and that's always interesting anyway because it's sort of that first give and take of marriage. Are we really going to have that? you know, chair? Oh yeah, we're having that chair. That chair stays. That's a non-negotiable. We cannot have this, but the chair stays. And then the other person's like, are are we going to hang that print really in the house? You know, like how about we put it outside the house? Would that work? Would that still be (laughs) acceptable? And you start merging your stuff together, which is interesting in, in and of itself. But then eventually a few days, weeks, months go by, years go by, and you start merging your baggage together. And it's in that moment that all of us start realizing, wow, when I came into this relationship, I came into it with a lot more stuff underneath the hood than maybe was advertised on the front end. And I just want you to know tonight that if you feel like you have baggage, you're in good company. If you don't think you have any baggage, well, for crying out loud, you come give the rest of this talk. That would be awesome. I will go sit on the front because I have baggage. And I think most of us would be, you know, tuned in enough to say I do as well. The problem is what do you do with it? And I, I brought this chest of drawers because I wanted to give a visual picture Tonight, of what's going on, and I think a lot of times what we do is we know there might be stuff in the drawers, but we'd rather just paint the furniture. You know, this, this piece of furniture has been painted, you can tell that when you look inside and look under here. And then we did just a little test over here, and turns out it was dark brown underneath the green. And that someone did a fine job, I might say, of antiquing it, and it's got that little on-purpose little dark stripe, you know, right here where they sanded the edges or whatever after they painted it. But when you get down to there, it's brown, and then you can see under the brown, there's some original wood down there. And what the culture wants to do is different than what God wants to do tonight. What the culture wants to do is layer up our, our baggage. Because most of, a lot of our baggage, I wouldn't say all of it, but a whole lot of our baggage tonight is related to our parents. And a lot of the things that are in the drawers of our lives are related to unresolved issues with our parents. And you know, I don't know how to weigh it one way or the other, and I don't want to leave anybody out. But a lot of it sort of seems to lend itself towards unresolved issues with our dad. Now, mom's being in the, in the mix tonight as well. And you're saying, well, is this a real downer for parents tonight? No, it's not, because we have a lot of good baggage from our parents. Amen? We have a lot of great baggage. How many of you have great baggage from your parents? Anybody just want to say, my parents put some amazing stuff in the trunk, and I am so excited about it. I'm still living with the fruit of some of the great things that my parents Passed on to me, but how many of you say no show of hands here, please that you got some negative baggage from your parents and Thank you anyway And how many of you would say (laughs) that you have some unresolved issues related to your parents particularly maybe your dad? And if you feel that way you are not alone in This place and what what happens in culture is culture just says hey if you don't like what's under here then just keep changing the exterior if you didn't like the original wood, let's try brown. Oh, the brown's not working? Let's try green and do a little antiquing. Oh, the green's not working? Let's go with blue. Oh, you don't like blue? Fine, we'll just take the whole thing away. Oh, you don't like these? We'll take these off, and we'll put new ones of these on there. Oh, you, you want, you know, we'll, we'll keep changing, changing, changing. And you meet people like that. Every time you see them, something's changing, something's changing, something's changing. Maybe it's because they just love things changing, or maybe they're not happy with what's underneath, and so they just keep doing a renovation, another coat of paint. Another coat of paint, another coat of paint. I had one of these growing up, and it didn't make it all the way to tonight. I wish it had, but my sister and I, we shared a room together, and we were really tiny little kids. And in the middle of it, I just remember it looking like something as big as this building was this chest of drawers. And it was a five-drawer, too, and I just thought, that's the biggest thing in creation right there. It was white when we were little. I sort of took it somewhere along the line when stuff got divided out and we all were living on our own. I got a hold of that chest of drawers. I didn't like it white because white wasn't cool. it chocolate brown. This was about like in the 80s. Anybody remember how cool that was in the 80s? And so I spray painted it. This is not how you do furniture, by the way. I'm not a master furniture renovator, all right? So I know some of you be like stripping it all down and taking it all apart and, you know, getting down and all that stuff. I, I'm like, no, let's just spray paint it. So I did the hard work of taking the knobs off. You know, you had to unscrew them all in here. And uh, then I just started spray painting that baby. It took about eight cans of spray paint to get enough paint on that thing. And I kept it. It was in my closet like that for a while, and then finally I got real brave, and I said, I'm going to just take it down to the bottom line wood, and I sanded that baby down, and man, it looked like it had been through a shredder when I got through sanding it, because I got tired of like literally sanding it, and I just got the power sander on it, you know, and it was kind of wonky, but it was cool, but it didn't make it all the way to now. Eventually, it had to go its way, but it was the same picture for me, and that picture, I think, is, a, is the right picture tonight, because The choice of just keep doing exterior coding doesn't work. And what God wants to do is he wants us to, with him, have the courage to open up the drawers and to actually allow the process of reconciliation start to happen and resolution start to happen to the stuff in the drawers. And that's, that's God's plan. And so tonight, there are five drawers in this Chester drawers. And, you know, there could be 55 things in the drawers of our lives. But I think we can summarize them. Uh, and we can cover almost everything in thinking about five drawers tonight. And I want you to do that with me. And the first drawer is this. What's in the first drawer of a lot of people's lives is generational sin. Now, I know that's kind of a right out there kind of thing right off the bat. But we live in a broken world. I love uh, this Psalm, one, Psalm 51, verse 5. The psalmist writes this. He says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. In sin did my mother conceive me. In other words, we are born into brokenness. None of us were born in a vacuum, and because of the domino effect of sin that we'll see in just a minute, all of us were born into brokenness. I was born at Georgia Baptist Hospital. You've heard me say that. You were born at XYZ Hospital or in this town or that town, or maybe you were born at home, I don't know, wherever you were born. But the big story of where you were born is you were born in brokenness. That's where you were born. Because the parents that you were born to were broken people. Your parents are not perfect. I know this is a newsflash for some of you younger, middle school age types here, but your mom and dad are not perfect. You're like, no kidding. Tell me something I don't know already. Well then why do we keep asking them to be perfect when we already know they're not perfect? Why did you do that? Why did you say that? I wish you hadn't done this. I wish you'd be more like this. I wish you hadn't—you know, you failed there. You should have done that. We we're holding our parents to this like, incredibly difficult standard of perfection when we know in our hearts they're not perfect. When we were born, we were born to two imperfect people who were born to four other imperfect people who were born to eight other imperfect people, and all of us are born into brokenness. The, the psalm writer says, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin, did my mother conceive me? In other words, we came into an already in motion story of sinfulness and brokenness that started in the garden. We spent two weeks in the garden. And in the garden, we saw God's plan, God's design. We saw man coming on the scene and distrusting the goodness of God. And then we saw brokenness happen, and we also got the preview of rescue and restoration. And that brokenness that started at the beginning is still working its way through humanity. And all of us were born with a propensity to sin, with a nature that wanted to be hostile to the goodness and the glory of God. All of us were born that way and our parents didn't make us sin we came out of the womb with that tendency in and of ourselves from the fall and from the brokenness, from the very beginning of humanity. But our parents fine-tuned our ability to sin because what we did growing up, we watched our parents' brokenness. That's what we did. Now, no one told you that when you were six months old that you're looking at your parents' brokenness or when you were four years old or seven years old or nine years old or on the family vacation or that day you came home from school or sitting around the dinner table night after night after night after night. What you were doing was looking at your parents' goodness and looking at their brokenness, looking at their strengths and looking at their struggles all the time. We were watching it, and you were learning what was their brokenness. You were learning how they coped with their brokenness. You were learning their mechanisms for how they dealt with their brokenness. And then you developed your own mechanisms for how you dealt with their brokenness. And that was what you and I have done from the very beginning of our time on this planet. And we see that in Scripture when we look into Romans chapter 5. And if you have Scripture, begin reading with me. In verse 12, we read the first part of this as we opened our gathering tonight, but look in the middle section beginning in verse 12. This is the domino effect of sin in our lives. It says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men, because all sinned. Consequently, just as a result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. So that gives you a little, a little uh, foreshadowing that there's hope coming in this message tonight. For just verse 19, as through the disobedience of the one many were made sinners so also through the obedience of the one many will be made righteous. What, what, what are we reading there? We're reading that what happened in the garden was not an isolated event but it, it started a chain reaction of events that has worked its way through all of humanity and our parents came out of their womb, the wombs of their mothers, with brokenness. And we came out of the womb of our mother with their brokenness. And then we watched their brokenness. We lived in their brokenness. We adjusted to their brokenness. We dealt with their brokenness. And in some ways, we've become a mirror reflection of the brokenness of the people who we spent the most time with on planet Earth. I, I'll just give you a couple of examples. If one of your parents was a warrior Anybody had a worrying parent? You don't have to raise your hand again. We're done raising our hands for the night. Any, I'm just asking rhetorically now. Anybody had a worrying parent? Wasn't that frustrating, especially if you had a neighbor who had a non-worrying parent? You know, you had the parent that was like, okay, we're going bowling, and then all of a sudden your mom just went haywire, like, well, what bowling alley are you going to? And she's online, like, researching it, you know, and looking at the past owners, and have they paid their income taxes, and there so any liens against the property? Have there been any police reports or police actions at the place? And then she's like, well, who are you going with? Well, I'm going with uh, Jenny and some other girls. And she's like, what other girls? I need to know their social security numbers and date of birth. I want to put them in a database, and who's driving, and where, how are you going to get there, and what time are you leaving, and, you know, do you have your bowling ball, do they disinfect the shoes at this bowling alley? I'm going to call them and check, you know, how often do you disinfect, do you just spray the stuff kind of on the shoes or really in the shoes, and then they're telling you, you know, when you get there, text me, uh, when, when you make your first strike, text me, because I want to cheer for you and just really encourage you and, you know, make sure you're doing okay, and when you leave, you know, and it's just, everything's hyper, everything's like, everything's jacked up to the heights, you know what I'm talking about? And you're like, we're going bowling, we were going bowling, I'm thinking I might just stay home and have a root canal instead, you know, but we were... Just going to go bowling. And then, you know, she's walking you out to the car. Oh, here comes Jenny now. And she's like checking all the air pressure and the tires, you know, and making sure everything's okay. And, and you're like, come on, mom. We're just going to the bowling alley. So you leave. You text her when you get there. You text her when you leave. You text her on the way home. You tell her everybody in the car is sober. You're in the back seat. Yes, we have all of her seatbelts on. Yes, we just stopped at that stop sign. Yes, we did. And then when you get home, she's in the driveway. Oh, you made it home, honey. I'm so glad you made it home. I'm like, I just texted you like three miles ago. And your friends, you know, they're, they're, you know, we're going bowling, and the parents go, Oh, that's great. Where are y'all going? We're going down to Shady Lanes. Center. Oh, have a good time. Who's going? Well, so and so and so and so. Oh, y'all have fun. Don't get, in, make sure, blah, 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 blah. Have a good time. And, you, and you're looking at their parent like, That's it? <laughs> like, we don't need to sign an affidavit or anything or some kind of medical waiver. Just have a good time. And you're like, Wow. Man, Louie, you should have grown up in our house, man. I mean, it was just like, "Ah. Oh. And what did you say? You said, oh, man, I'll tell you one thing, man, it's tough living with my parent, and I will never be like that.") <laughs> middle school kids are going, "That's right." <laughs> you have no clue, middle school students, at this point. I'm just in this point, you're, 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 with, you're not with us yet. Older people are going, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Because some of your kids are here and they're going, they're looking at you right now down the road going, yeah, granddad. (laughs) Because they see something going on. You know, that's just a, it's not really funny, but it's it's less than saying some of you had a parent that was addicted. And they just had issues. They had sin, generational sin, and they had... Problems, and they didn't know how to cope with things, and you grew up watching them first hide it, maybe try to manage it. Maybe they thought you never even knew about it, but you were smarter than that, and you understood what was going on, or maybe they knew that you knew about it, and you were helping them manage it, and somehow you were in there helping in the whole process of making all this seem like it made sense when it never made sense. And it's crazy how... How powerful what's in this drawer is, because you come out of that, and you've met people like this, and they're like, man, I'll tell you one thing. You can bet on this. I'll tell you one thing I will never, ever, 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 ever do, and that's that, and right away you don't. When you're younger, it doesn't happen, but all of a sudden, if this drawer stays shut, and it's never opened, and light never rushes in, you find yourself somewhere down the road with a family and a whole bunch of other stuff going on and that thing all of a sudden just comes flying into view and you're like, oh my goodness. Because it's most likely that if your parents had an addiction, it's not true every time, but it's very likely that one of your parents had an addiction. You know, in the Old Testament, on the negative side, when God's talking about The Ten Commandments, and he's talking about how he wants people to honor him, to worship him, to give him his rightful place in their lives. He said, and if you don't do that, he said, the iniquity of the Father will be passed on to the children and the children's children of those who turn away from me and don't honor me. That doesn't mean we're getting stuck with the choices of our parents, it just means that we're in a generational cycle, we're in a domino effect of brokenness, and it comes into our lives, and you can't just say, hey, that was then, and this is now, that was them, and this is me, can't do that, because it's real what's going on in here, and it's powerful, maybe your dad blew up, I'm not trying to talk about anybody's dad here. I don't know uh, most of your dads. Maybe your dad blew up, though. Maybe your dad was one of those guys, that everything would kind of rock along, and then all of a sudden, bam, something would happen, and, I mean, a rocket would take off, and the whole house would, would burn down. And you're like, man... Ah, and you live with that all your life. And then all of a sudden, it's just somehow it's in there and you kind of got some of that in you and you didn't like it, but it's in there anyway. And somehow you, there's more of it in there than you want to admit. And you find somebody, you get in a relationship, you're, you're about three months into the deal. And all of a sudden that person says the wrong thing at the wrong time and pushes the wrong button and you erupt like a volcano. And they're like, what just happened? You said, yeah, the drawer just cracked open. You won't believe how much more is in here. Some of your parents clammed up. So you got that going on. Some of your parents just didn't have positivity. They, they kind of went through life crippled. They, you see a lot of people and they just sort of limp their way through life or their, their outlook on life is it's never going to go right. It's always going to go wrong. We're never going to come in first. We're always going to come in last. Our family doesn't deserve that or we don't deserve that or I don't deserve that or I'm unworthy and their unworthiness sort of led your family into this thing of our family just sort of tiptoed through life and we never had this sense that God was really for us and anything was really going to happen that would demonstrate his power on our behalf. And so instead of confidence being woven into the DNA, sort of crippling got woven into the DNA. And as much as you hated it, you said, man, I hate that. I hate that about my mom. I hate that about my dad. I hate that they did this or acted that way or lived like that. But what you missed was that DNA is a powerful thing. You know, DNA is It's it's something that you can't mess around with. I mean, you can try, and especially I'm not knocking middle schoolers tonight, but, you know, God bless you. There's some things you're going to figure out, and one of them is this, that you have DNA that is powerful inside of you, and it's going to work for you no matter what, and you are going to become the product of what your parents have invested in you, certainly physically, and some of your other traits are going to happen as well, and we say this all the time. You can keep reading 17 Magazine all you want to, but unless one of your parents is in there, it is not going to work out for you. I mean, you can look in there all day long. I'm going to be hot body right there, or I'm going to be Mrs. So-and-so right here, and I'm going to do my hair like that, and I'm going to dress like that, and I'm going to look like that, and I'm going to be really cool. It's like, no, what you need to carry around while everybody else is reading some magazine like that, you just need to carry around a family photo album with you everywhere you go. What are you reading? You're at the pool with your pals, you know, and they're like reading through their thing, and, oh, look, he's cute, and, oh, look at her hair, and, oh, look at the way, way she did her makeup, and, oh, look at her shoes, and you're like, yeah, here's my mom and dad right here, and these are my grandparents, and that's what I got to work with. That's, that's what's happening. That's what's happening. That's DNA, and DNA is powerful, and we get that part of it, but there's a spiritual DNA because we're in the domino effect of the garden, and that one man's sin, Adam's sin, has trickled down and has brought death to every single person in the line. And you're in the line, and your parents are in the line, and their brokenness is in the fabric of us. And unless we're willing to open this drawer... We've got some serious relationship challenges coming down the road. Uh, The second one of these drawers is is called abandonment. Abandon happens when these very hard words come into our lives, and they're the words divorce or distance or disinterest. I mean, a abandon can come through death, too, but normally, normally, that's not the choice of the person who died. And so we wrestle with that on a different level in life. But these are choices that were made willfully and knowingly by someone who claimed that they loved you, and what they did was they... Smashed into your heart in a way that's hard for anybody to really understand because see what happens when parents who have got generational sin issues realize that this stuff in this drawer is keeping us from living together in this drawer and they come to you and how does it always go down? They say, honey, we just want to let you know that we're going to have a change in our family and mommy and daddy aren't going to live together anymore and we just want to make sure you understand that it's not about you. We love you. We, we just have some stuff going on up in the drawer that we, we are not able to work through right now, but we, we love you, and you are so precious to us, and you are so important to us, and we value you so much. And, and at the end of the day, it's funny how that always gets you know translated into the heart of the little person in the equation who what they're hearing is, it's, this is all my fault, I'm defective in some way, something isn't working right, and they said they love me and they told me how valuable I was. But I think, isn't it true that what rises up in the heart is, if I'm so valuable to everybody, then why aren't we living in the same house? Because that's what's valuable to me. And there's layers of that for all of us. I mean, your your dad can be right smack in the house and be a million miles away. He can be so disconnected from the things you love, the things you dream about, the things you're passionate about. He can just be so isolated from you, living under the same roof. Or he can be a thousand miles away, and all the while he keeps sending you that message, I love you, you know I love you, and what you're hearing is, yeah, you're a thousand miles away from me. And what I feel is, whether I want to say it or not, is abandon. And abandon, you know, I, I'm, it, it, these things are not cut and dried. But abandon typically works itself out on one of two ends of the spectrum. One end is just an unhealthy sense of attachment. When we do find somebody who will value us and love us and connect to us, we just latch onto them with, you know, just an overabundance of I need your acceptance in my life. And you've seen that with people that you've either become friends with or you've approached or all of a sudden you start a relationship with somebody and you were just like, hey, I like you and I like hanging out. And they were like, okay, whew, Good. <laughs> And, you know, like two or three weeks later, you were like, excuse me, could you please just kind of pry your arms off of me just for a second? And they're like, no, <laughs> because you are the first person who's come along in a while that's speaking into this hunger that I've got in here for somebody to attach to me, and so I'm going to attach to you. And I'm telling you, if that happens in a relationship, it's just all downhill from the beginning because nobody can give you that. And the other end of it, of course, is down on the other end of the spectrum, and that's when we get to that place where we're like, hey, this happened to me once, but it's never happening to me again. Therefore, I'm just putting up the walls. And we may go down to the end of an aisle, and I may say I do, but at that point, I'm just going to be like a... Because I'm not getting left again. And you you cannot slam this door and say, hey, so my parent was a jerk. So my dad's a jerk. So my mom's a jerk. So my mom couldn't handle it. So what? I don't care. Yes, you do care. And it's not going to help any of us come to resolution until we just admit what we feel, which is I really care. I really, really care. And you want to care if somehow you've become calloused and you don't feel like you do anymore. Because you want to open this drawer and you want healing to come. This, this drawer is kind of interesting, this third one. This is called enabling. It's kind of a flip side of all this other stuff. Anybody have any enabling parents? Remember, it's all rhetorical from here. But thank you. See that in the back? Um, Everybody's quick to that. Oh, yes, right away. I don't even know what you're talking about. But yes, sounds like my parents. Absolutely. You know, and the enabling parent was the one that... Uh, kind of wanted to be one of the kids more than they wanted to be one of the parents. They wanted to be your best friend. So they just hanging out, having a good time. No boundaries, no rules, never told no. Uh, everything's cool. They're that parent that all the other kids loved, you know, because they're the ones buying the booze, you know. Your parents, and you're know, like, they're like, oh, what's going on? My parents are like, rah, rah, rah. and your parents are like, yeah, come on in. Y'all do what you want. Just keep it down. Don't tear anything up and you know, be safe. And and you're like, whoa, where do you get parents like that? And you think that would be awesome to have a mom and dad like that, that you can stay out as late as you want. You can, you know, text on the phone till 3 a.m. if you want to with your friends. You can do whatever you want to do. They're just always behind you going, oh, honey, it's going to work out. And they're covering up for all of your mess ups. And you know that crazy story, that kid, you know, he he gets uh, involved with a couple of accidents and eventually the police come and say, we're going to suspend your license. And his parents say, hey, don't you worry about it. We're going to, honey, we're going to move to another state and we'll get you a license in another state. Come on, people, pack up the truck. We're moving. You know, it's that kind of weird family where no matter what went wrong, there was always this rushing sensation of your parents coming around to make sure everybody was okay. I talked to a parent the other day. He said, yeah, uh, my kid got um, two golds at this thing he went to. And I, he came home and said, I got two of these gold medals. And he's like, wow, wow, that's awesome. He goes, no, it's the lowest thing you can get. He's like, what do you mean? He goes, yeah, it's gold, high gold, and platinum. That's the awards they gave out. Anybody? I mean, is this crazy? So I guess I could just go melt down all those bronze medals I got all through life for third place, which I was pretty happy about. It was third place, not semi-first place. And I think culture said everybody gets the same trophy. Everybody gets affirmed. Oh, everybody won. And the kid's like, I didn't win. Oh, I know, but you feel good, don't you? Do they really feel good knowing I, like, am so bad at bowling, and I actually threw my ball down the other lane more times (laughs) than down my lane, but I got just as big a trophy as Johnny Wormhandle, and Johnny Wormhandle actually has the curve on his ball, and it goes down there, and things go when it hits the pins. But look, we got the same trophy. I feel great about me. Is that really the way kids feel? Or do they go, I stink at bowling? But these days, people don't want to tell you you're bad at anything, so they give you a big trophy, and you feel wonderful. If you had those parents, at some point, something changed. I know no high school kid would ever say to their parents, Mom, Dad, you're just giving me too much freedom. (laughs) But at some point, something clicks in your heart because of... The God genes that we have at creation, and you think something like this. If you loved me so much, why don't you put some boundaries on my life? And the product of all that enabling, and it's going to be okay, and I'm going to take care of everything, and everything's going to be fine, and we're going to rush in and prop you up your whole lifetime. The product of that is someone who comes down the end of an aisle to say, I do, and they have no idea what it means to live responsibly in life because no one's ever told them no. And they're an enabled bowling ball just crashing its way through life, mostly focused on me and what I want to do and when I want to do it and everything works that way because that's the way it always worked with mom and dad you got to open that drawer up and say, you know, this has been a nice ride <laughs> because I've pretty much gotten off scot-free my whole life, but you got to open this thing up and you've got to let God look in. This drawer down here is called Performance-Based Acceptance. There's two more drawers and we'll come back around. But, you know, it's that place where you, you get in there with mom and dad and they do love you and you know they love you, but the I love you always sort of has a blank on the end of it. I love you if and I love you when. And they do tell you that they love you occasionally, but not terribly often, but it's usually all tied into some kind of performance. And at some place in life, you just want to say to your dad, you know what, is there ever a chance you're just going to come in and put your arms around me and hold me and tell me you love me and then just end the sentence right there? And if that drawer for you called performance-based acceptance is... It's full of stuff from your past. Then, you know, you're you're on a collision course with somebody else, and you've got to ask God to open up that drawer and to do the things that He wants to do in your heart. And in this last drawer down at the bottom is a it's a hard one, and in that drawer is abuse, and none of us want to open that drawer. In fact, if that drawer has been a part of our past, typically what we want to do is close that drawer and turn the chest of drawers around and maybe even roll the chest of drawers into a back closet somewhere and shut the door and leave it in there and say, you know what, we don't talk about that, we don't deal with that, that was then, this is now, that was them. this is the new me, this is a new time of life, I'm just going to shut that off, close that off, repress that, put that back as far as I can and I'm just going to go forward with my life and I'm telling you, you and I know we can't do that because even if we think we can, can eventually the moving men show up, right? And they show up somewhere downstream in life or downstream in a relationship or 10 years later, and they say, hey, man, you forgot your, uh, your furniture, you forgot your chest of drawers, and by the way, you forgot down here. And in a place where we're sort of rocking along through life, all of a sudden this thing comes streaming through the window. And so as painful as it is, and as much as no one wants to go there, We've got to find a way to get resolution there. We've got to find a way to get healing down there. I mean, it could be sexual abuse, um, physical abuse, some emotional abuse, or relational. It could be all kinds of things and the injuries come and the harm is done to you and what happens at the end of the day is trust is burned and broken and You can't come down that aisle and say, hey, I'm going to link up with you for the rest of my life when maybe inside of me, I don't really trust anybody and never have. I'm not even sure I can trust God and trust my life fully to him. And there's a wound in you that potentially no one on planet Earth knows about but you and the person who inflicted that wound on you. And no one knows. The girl you're dating doesn't know. The guy you're engaged to doesn't know. Your spouse doesn't know. And somehow you thought, if I just keep that closed, it's all going to work out. And those of us who are older in the room will affirm to you, it just doesn't work out. What we have to do is resist the temptation to spend more money, spend more time, and spend more energy resurfacing the chest of drawers or trying to put it in deep storage somewhere. And we have to come to it with God, and we have to face up to what's going on in our hearts. And we have to say to God, I, I, I don't need an, another coat of paint. I need some resolution is what I need. And then God says, well, I can help you with that, and I can bring resolution to you. The way resolution comes to you and me, it's not simple, but this is the way that resolution comes. It comes with Christ, and it comes at the cross. That's how resolution will come to the things in our hearts and in our lives. It comes with the person of Christ. Now, there may be other people involved. In some cases, there certainly will be other people involved. But it comes primarily with Christ present with you and walking with you through all the stuff that's in all these drawers. And Christ does that work for us based on what has happened at the cross. So if you want resolution for any drawer, I'm telling you tonight, it is absolutely possible. But it's possible with Christ at the cross. You say, well, why is Christ a necessary component in this process? I'll tell you why. Can I just go to a counselor? Can I just call a 1-800 number? Can I just get another book from Barnes & Noble or talk to a friend over coffee? Yes, you can do all those things, but Christ is a necessary component in the process of resolution, and I'll tell you why. Because Christ has faced everything that's in all the drawers of all of our lives, and he's the only person who's done that. You see, Christ, it says that through the obedience of one man, righteousness came or life came to all men. That means Christ came into planet earth. He entered the domino effect of history, but he came into history outside of the sin effect. He came in born of a virgin, perfect and blameless, living on a broken world, but he was the only one who wasn't born in brokenness so that then he could bring his innocent life to a place called the cross to take on all the wrong of your life and all the wrong of my life. All the generational sin went on him at the cross. All the sense of abandonment went on him at the cross. He said at the cross, my God, why have you forsaken me? All of our crazy, boundaryless lives went on him at the cross. All the sense of performance-based acceptance went on him on the cross. All of the abuse went on him at the cross. And he understands. He's the one person that you can be sure that when you're face-to-face with him and eye-to-eye with him, and you say, I'm going to open this up. And I'm going to be honest. And he's going to look right back at you and go, I understand what you're talking about. He's not just going to say, oh, oh, well, that's so heartbreaking. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Oh, thank you for sharing that with me. And all the other well-meaning things that we all say, and with a good heart. But he's going to look right at you, and he's going to say, I get it. I understand. Because, see, I have faced up to everything that's in here. I have had everything in, every drawer dumped on my life. If there ever was a victim in life, I was the victim. If anyone can choose to be a victim, then he chose to put himself in a place where he then could be condemned for us. And he could take all of the junk from all of the drawers on his innocent life. The second reason why you want to face it with Christ is because he loves you unconditionally. He knows what's in all the drawers. When you come to him, you don't have to come like, you know, hey, how's it going? Good to see you. You all right? I'd love to follow you and worship you, and I'd I'd love to be with you in life. And he's like, well, what's that? Oh, it's nothing, you know, just a little piece of furniture here. Anyway, I just want to let you know you can count on me. And he's like, well, what's this? And you're like, well, it's Chester drawer. He goes, I know, turn it around. And you're like, well, yeah, and the cool handles are nice. Aren't they? Isn't that great? And he's like, no, listen, I know everything in every drawer. And I love you unconditionally right where you are. John, 1 John 4 says it this way. Beginning in verse 7, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Listen to this. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So what the beauty of the gospel is, is that we didn't get it all together and come and love God, but God came to us when we had it all apart And he loved us anyway by giving the best he could give for us. You want to come with Christ because he's faced it all because he loves us unconditionally. And you want to come with Christ because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Back in all this world, he was there. So when you go and sit down with someone, and I'm not saying you shouldn't do this, but if you go and sit down with someone who's going to help you, they might ask you, well, tell me about your childhood. Well, tell me about your past. Well, tell me about your parents. Well, tell me what it was like when you were in school. Well, tell me what happened when this happened. Well, tell me how you felt when this went down. Well, tell me what emotions you were experiencing. Well, tell me what you, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and all that's fantastic, but that's because they weren't there. Well, amazing that you can start this journey with Christ, who is the same yesterday, the same today, and the same forever. And he goes, hey, I understand you you, I was there when you were born and I know you and I know the brokenness you were in I know, you don't have to explain it to me and I'm here right now in the present with all my power right in this moment, committed to you in this moment and I'm just the same in the future so you can count on me, I will still be me in the future as we walk into newness and we walk into life together you can count on me, I understand you, I am here for you and I will always be with you so we come with Christ and we say, okay, Christ, start opening up these drawers with us. Jesus, start helping me come to terms with these drawers. And he says, I can do that. But here's where we do it. We do it at the cross. The way you find resolution is with Christ at the cross. At the cross, something was exchanged, something powerful was exchanged, and it was so powerful what was exchanged. It allows us to make peace with our past. We read Romans 5, the middle section, but look at the end, if you will, beginning in verse 17. It says, For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. So what does that say? It says Christ died for what I've done. That's the beauty of the gospel, right? It's not good to bad. It's dead to alive. And when I was dead, Christ died for me. And through his one act of obedience, righteousness came to me, meaning forgiveness came to me, my sin debt was paid, a whole new start was given to me in that moment. And here's the powerful thing, because peace with our past begins with a word called forgiveness. And it starts with me coming to the cross and going, unbelievable, one man disobeyed, and death through sin came to me, but Christ obeyed, and by his obedience, righteousness from God, meaning forgiveness, and grace, and love, and mercy, and 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 a whole new life came to me from God. I am forgiven by God. And then at that point you just want to go, hallelujah, I'm forgiven by God. And it's a huge revelation when that happens. And then soon after that, you go, oh, wait a minute. At the cross, I was forgiven. And at the cross, you were forgiven. The same forgiveness that I rejoice in has come to you. Therefore, by the grace of God and on the basis of the cross, I choose to forgive you. You're like, oh, I'm not there. It's okay. But at the cross, the power and the potential for that kind of miracle exists. That's what Ephesians says, right? Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has forgiven you. It's realizing that, you know, that voice in the back of our head, if I, if I forgive them, I'm just going to excuse them. Oh, no, you're not excusing them because there's a big cross right between you and them where Christ <laughs> paid for it all. Nothing got excused. It all got exposed and it all got paid for and condemned in Christ. So there is no excusing Anybody? And for you to forgive them just frees you from them. And then you step back and say, God, I forgive them because you forgave me and you forgave them. So based on that, I forgive them. And now I'm going to let you do all the judging and I'm going to let you work everything else out. I'm going to let you be in charge of judging them. Because you know what, if our parents have messed up in a, in a huge way and all that's dominoed into our lives, what point does it serve us to spend the rest of our lives trying to punish our parents when you look at your parents and you realize their whole lives have punished them? Everything they're doing is punishing them. The way all the relationships are going is punishing them. Their business, this, that, and the other, it's all, you see all the collateral, right? And so you're like, why do I have to make sure you get punished when you're making sure you get punished? You follow me? And so you say, look, the cross has freed me from guilt, shame, and condemnation. And I'm telling you, the cross is just as much for you as it is for me. And you might not even know that yet, but I do. And on the basis of the power of what Jesus did for me, I choose to forgive you. And there may be some work that has to be done. I'm not saying that you just walk away and say, well, there's nothing that needs to be said or done or dealt with. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that you don't take up the primary responsibility of being the person who brings the judgment to their life. You let God do that, and trust me, he will do a good job of that. And you'll be free. And how powerful to come and stand at an aisle and look someone in the eye and say to them, I do, and I'm free. Versus saying I do, and the drawer's been shut, and two years later we're driving down the road and it's them and you and your unforgiven dad in the back seat. It's getting a little tight in here. Because into the relationship came what you hoped would go away, but it didn't, because it never works that way. And through the cross with Christ, we can make peace with the past. And then lastly tonight, close with this, we get a new pattern for our lives. I love that. We get new DNA. Amen. So yeah, we got mom and dad in us. I got Louis Floyd, Giglio Jr. and me. Come on. He got about my age and his hair turned silver. And I went, well, I like your hair silver. That's pretty cool. But mine will never do that. And, um, you know, we had other kinds of things (laughs) going on. And now I'm old enough to go, well, I'm Louis Floyd Giglio Jr. I mean, I'm him. Shelly reminds me all the time. And I got Martha Jean Giglio in me. And sometimes I'm her too. And I'm just the product of that. And we can't get away from that. We've already talked about that. But that's not all that's going on in me tonight. And if you're following Jesus by faith, that's not all that's going on in you either. When we were born again, something new happened to us. We talk about it all the time. John 1, right? It says, for as many as received him... To, and believed in his name, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. Those who were born not of human descent, not of a human will, and not of a husband's choice, but were born of God. That means I've been born of God. I got new DNA going on. I still got Louie and I still got Martha Jean, and that's going to work itself out in some character traits and in some physiology and some other kinds of things. But I have new parents. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit gave birth to me, and my spirit came to life, and I got brand new DNA. From God. So I have a whole new possibility happening in my life. I don't just settle down and go, hey, I have issues. I have issues. I'm sorry. You just got to deal with it. I have issues. Hey, we all have issues. But the truth of the matter is we say, I have issues, but Christ has come and the cross has come. And when the cross came, something changed in me. The curse was broken. And when Christ was raised from the dead, he gave life to men and he gave me new life. And I've got new DNA. Christ comes and he says, hey, hey, here's what's going on. He takes all the mess of our lives, as messy as it is, and he takes it to the most amazing place. Brutal, yes, awful, painful, but he takes it to a place called Calvary. And at that place, all the wrong of your life and all the wrong of my life is paid in full. And the curse is broken. The domino effect of the DNA is broken by the power of the life and the death and the resurrection of the son of the living God and a new life begins that's why we can come to him and we can say you know what I don't want to deal with this but I'm just gonna get this out but I'm not gonna carry it around and go you know I love the cross it's so amazing thank you Lord for the cross <clears throat> bumping into people with our drawer but we're gonna say no I, I believe in this cross I believe in the power of this cross and I know the only place for the worst of me is here and so I lay it down and I bring it to this place and I say this is true of me but by the power of the cross of Jesus and in the name of the Son of the Living God I leave this here and say it has no hold on me I have new genes and new DNA pulsing through my life. You know, it's coming to that reality. You know, a lot of people here tonight who, who are carrying stuff in drawers will look at that and go, Amen, I love the cross, and I love singing about it. I love to come passion to see church, and I love us talking about the cross, and I love everything here, and I love your teaching, and it's just beautiful. But it's different to say, I believe in that, and I love that, and to actually face that as true and real for our lives. It's the difference between you saying, Louis, I know how to get to Piedmont Park. You don't have to tell me I know how to get there. I say, well, I don't care if you know how to get there. Have you been there? Have you been to Piedmont Park? And you're like, no, I've really never been to Piedmont Park, but I know how to get there. And I'm saying it's a difference between saying, I know the cross, I know where it is, I know what it is, and I know what Christ did, and saying, have you been there? Have you gone to Piedmont Park and put out your blanket and had your friends and had an incredible meal and enjoyed a 65-degree day and felt the sunshine and, and had all the beauty and felt the wind blowing and said, man, this is amazing. We, we should have done this more often. It's the same thing with the cross. You've got to faith it enough to say, I believe it's true and I believe it's dependable and I'm going to actually put it into effect in my thinking. You see, based on that, when you wake up in the morning, you and I, every day, we're going to read out of one or two books, right, every single day. Every day we're going to pick up this book, which was the old book of us. It's our family history, our family tree, all the stuff our family does, all the failures, all the weaknesses, all the brokenness, all the mess-ups, all the shame, all the guilt, all the condemnation, all the strife, all the torment, all the anger, all the stuff. And we just read, this is me, and this will probably be me, and it'll probably look at the very end with a picture of me that looks just like him. And some of us, even though Christ has erected for us a beautiful monument of freedom in Christ and truth. You still read out of this book every single day. Some of you have it with you tonight. And as much as Christ has given everything He has for you, you'll still find your way back in Chapter Eight. Yeah, that's awesome. But let me tell you about our family. Let me tell you about me. Or you have the choice, and I have the choice every single day of our lives to read out of another book. There are two books on this dresser every morning, and you can read out of this one, or you can read out of this one. We say, Well, what is this one? This is the only book we need to be reading out of. You understand what I'm saying? This is a story of you, written by God, and this is a story of somebody who has new DNA inside of them. This is a story of somebody who's not going to spend their whole life looking at the drawers going, I'll never be like that. I'll never be like that. I'll never never be like that. I will never be like that. I will never be like that as you are becoming just like that because that's what happens in that negative reinforcement. Instead, it's looking at the cross and going, whoa, at the cross, everything changed. Psalm 24, even if my mother and father forsake me, the Lord will take me up. I am not an orphan, friends. I am in a family, and I'm in a good family, because God has taken me up. Psalm 68, um, God will be a father to the fatherless, and a defender of the orphans. That's who God is, and His holy habitation. That's redoing the story. That's not picking up the book and going, well, I got left alone, and I got abandoned, and that's who I am, and that's what it's all about, so I just got to figure out how to do life on my own, no, saying, hey, who cares about that book, man? I got a new book. And in this book, it says, I belong to God. I've been put in a family. I've been given a brand new life. I've been given a brand new future and a hope. All my debt's been paid. All the condemnation is gone. The shame's gone. I'm forgiven. I'm brand new. I'm a brand new person. And waking up in the morning going, hey, this is my book. This is the story of me today. This is the story of me today. This is killer. Because this book is so awesome. You open it, it goes, Hi. Hi. I love you. Awesome. I love you too. I am yours and you are mine. Woo, that's good. You are brand new. Hello. Did I tell you I love you? I came full of grace and full of truth. So let's open the drawers. I'll deal truthfully with all the stuff in there. We got to do that. But I'll do with an equal measure of grace because I came full of grace and full of truth. I just drew a picture for you today. It's the nails going through my hands and feet for you. You are forgiven and free. Did I tell you I loved you? You can do anything because you've got the DNA of God Almighty inside of you. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, they gave birth to you. you got God's genes inside of you. Don't forget it today. I know you got DNA working for mom and dad and grandparents and grandparents, but you got new DNA inside of you. And I'm telling you, we're going to put down the book of being the victim. we got a new book, and it's called the book of being the victor, and the victor is overwhelming the victim in our story. The victor is overwhelming the victim. There's no more I'm just a victim, I'm just a victim. No, the story of the victim. Victor is overwhelming the story of the victim. Is there a wound? Yes. Is there a hole through my heart? Yes. Is there brokenness? Absolutely. But there's a new story, and I'm choosing to read out of it. It says, good morning. I want to remind you today that I love you. I am in you, and you are in me. And I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, and the Father is in you. I know that sounds relatively complicated, but the point we're trying to get across today is that we are inextricably linked together and united, all of us melded into one glorious heartbeat of love, grace, mercy, and truth forever and ever and ever. Nothing will ever separate us, not you, not me, and no one can separate you from the love of your Father, Almighty God, in Christ Jesus. Nothing in the present, nothing to come, nothing in the past, neither death nor life, angels, demons, principalities, you are joined to us in such an inseparable way that dynamite could not separate you from the amazing grace and love of God for your life today we've got plans for you by the way we have dreams for you we gave it all for you and we blew up the old paradigm, we tore down the old house, we busted up the old pathways and we planted a new harvest for you, a new pasture full of beautiful green grass for you to lay in and to roll in and to laugh in and to know that you are prized and precious and you'll never be without the love of a Father who's going to hold you and hold on to you no matter what all through the days of your life. You have no idea how we've gifted you and formed you and fashioned you and invested in you and put our very life inside of you you so that you can do incredible, powerful, earth-shattering things with us for our glory and our plan to the end of your life. You are somebody because you are joined with us, and trust me, we are somebody. Your last name is God Almighty. Your last name is loved and equipped and embraced and forgiven and free and empowered. That is who you are. Do not forget it. If you need more, keep reading. But I suggest you close the book, take a good look around and say, I'm a son or a daughter of the living God and I'm going to rip through this day with confidence and power because my father is not crippled my father is not an addict my father has never abandoned me my father had no generational sin issues, my father would never harm me or never abuse me I am his and he is mine and I'm reading out of the right book I'm reading out of the right book I'm reading out of the new book of me based on all the authority of the living words of God it's a new possibility for me a new beginning and it's only possible I believe with Christ and it's only possible at the cross